What is going on, Prayerfully Woke listeners? It is your co-host, Walker, here, welcoming you back to the Prayerfully Woke podcast. On today's episode, we have an absolutely fantastic interview with a good friend of Jonathan and I's, Don Eaton. Uh, in this interview, we talk about addiction, we talk about drugs, we talk about recovery, we talk about the disease of addiction and self-centeredness. Uh, whether or not you have had someone in your life addicted to drugs or you have been addicted to substances, you will find this interview to be amazing. Don has some stories, let me tell you. Uh, he shares some awesome experiences that he has with God in uh, his life uh, in this interview. And so you are going to love this interview. And I'm just going to ask you ahead of time because your mind's going to be blown. If you like this interview, please share it with a friend. Please send it to someone that needs to hear this message. This particular episode was actually recorded in the basement of Jonathan's church. So if there's any audio quality issues, you can attribute it to that. Uh, We do apologize for that. But the substance of the episode is absolutely A1 on par with any other episode we've had so far on Prayerfully Woke. So please tune your attention to Don Eaton as we listen to this episode of Prayerfully Woke. Hey, what is up, my friends? This is John with Prayerfully Woke. We are excited about uh, today's episode with us. We have my good friend, uh, Don Eaton. Hey. It's good to have you with us, Don. Uh, Walker's also here uh, with us recording. How are you doing? What's up? There he is. I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Ready for a nice podcast. That's right. We're excited. Uh, well, Don, uh, Don, my friend Don, I met him through uh, some work that he did at the church, and then uh, God brought him. Uh, closer to move closer yeah. to where we're at, and um, uh, and Don has an amazing story, and God is working in Don's life, and uh, we're excited about what God's doing there, and we think that it will be an encouragement to you. Uh, so, Don, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to our audience, and then um, let us know the journey you've been on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name's Don, and uh, I'm in recovery. So when I uh, realized that something was wrong in my life, right? Some people call it addiction. I refer to it as a disease um, because it, it affects every area of my life. I didn't always see it that way. And so I never really identified um, with other people because I didn't see the similarities. I was always looking at the differences. And uh, once I was able to um, identify with people, in the in the group that I'm associated with, I should say, <laughs> no names, right? Right. <laughs> um, and I could I could feel a part of um, and and start to have an understanding on what was going on with me, and so I'll, I'll launch off on that. I grew up uh, in a middle class family um, that there was a lot of addiction uh, when I was younger. Um, parents. Um, later on, I, uh, my parents split up and I had a stepdad. He's really physically abusive. You know, he liked to put his hands on me, stuff like that with disciplinary stuff. Um, and so at the age of 12, I thought it was a good idea that, uh, I just wanted to end my life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, around that time is when I started using, um, it started off with alcohol and pot. Um, and then I got, uh, into my mom and dad's room because I'd sneak cigarettes 
right? Not that anybody can identify with that. <laughs> um, and so I got these little pills, and I kind of thought they were in a heart shape, and I thought they were kind of candy or something, and I took a bunch of them. And it ended up being that they were speed, hmm. right? And I went into this mental breakdown of sorts. No one was home, and uh, I thought it was a good idea to just try to hang myself out of the backyard tree. Hmm. Now, this whole time, I, I was raised with a relationship with God, with my grandparents, but mm. it seems so far away. Yeah. Right. Um, and I talked to God, but it didn't seem like anything was changing in my life. Right. And, and at that age, I didn't feel like I could talk to anybody that no one would understand when I'd start to talk to people. Um, they would just discount, you know, and it was a different day back then than it is now. Um, and I was into sports and that kind of helped me release some of that anger I had because I walked around with a chip on my shoulder. Um, and, and it wasn't one of those things where I tried to take myself out for attention. I just really didn't want to live this life anymore. Mm. If this is what life was, I didn't want to live it anymore. I didn't, um, do away with God, but I did walk away. Um, and so I went through a series of treatments and I was fine with that because it got me out of the house. It got me away from my abuser. Right. And it took a long time for me to be able, because I'm kind of a manly guy. I didn't want to talk about that part of my story, but as, as I share, you'll see that I've been able to open up and be honest about where I come from. And, uh, so I went to this treatment and I started going into a, uh, uh, par- uh, parochial school and, uh, I got back in touch with, um, with God as I understand him. Right. Yeah. And, and that started to grow. And, uh, that's when I got introduced to the idea of addiction. And, you know, um, addiction goes beyond just drugs and alcohol. Hmm. Right. Talk a little bit about that. Um, to me, addiction is a, a disease that affects every area of my life and it boils down to self-centeredness, right? That I will do whatever it takes to feed that, whether it's food or gambling or whatever it is, uh, you know, um, lust, adultery, you know, drugs, alcohol, but, um, it's, it's been my understanding now after being clean is that, uh, all the things that I was trying to do, this, the drug use was just a symptom of addiction, Hmm. right? Um, because without the drugs now, it's the way I think. And without the drugs, I still have messed up thinking. Hmm. And so I went on through that, um, and I ended up dropping out of school, getting my GED, going to Job Corps and getting uh, an apprenticeship in the trades. Um, and so when I started going back to work, the guys, you know, there was, there was the drugs all around, you know, everywhere. And I fell right back into it. Now, I had heard about that program when I was in treatment. Right. But I didn't seek out after it. And so um, 
it took a long time, man. When I was 18 years old, I got caught up with the law trying to feed that addiction. And remember, I said I would do anything, right, to get that drug, anything to uh, be able to, um, my for my reality to change, right? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't like my real my perception of reality, so I wanted to change it, and that's what the drugs did for me. Um, and so I got in trouble for stealing to get high, and I, the judge gave me 19 years. Yeah. And at 18 years old, 19 years seems like a long time, longer than I've been alive yeah. and walked the earth. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that was the big eye opener for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, they put me in maximum security prison with killers, you know, and I had to, you know, it was a school of hard knocks back in the 90s and, and the things that, you know, went through with that. But I took it as an opportunity once it once the weight of what happened went away a little bit. Right. It was a, a year or better before I realized where I was at, you know. I, I remember walking down the flag and the thought just came to me, man, you're in prison, dude. <laughs> and you're going to be here for a long time. Yeah. And so I dove in the word. Yeah. You know, there's the scripture about the uh, prodigal son. Yeah. Right. And he went away from, you know, what he knew and uh, he blew his inheritance. Yeah. You know, I've blown my life. Mm. But the great thing about our God is that you can always come back. Yeah. And it's never too late. Mm. It's never too late. And he invites us back in and he gives us, you know, the the fine things, the royal robe, mm-hmm. you know, and he loves us because he never left. I was the one who walked away. Yeah. And so uh, I started getting back in my Bible and my face started to grow. And I could identify with Paul. Right. Because Paul says uh, that he can be used no matter where I'm at. Yeah. Mm. You know. And uh, I was sharing this with a friend earlier. Um, we had some fellowship this morning and uh, I seen some really amazing things in prison. Um, things like uh, on Thanksgiving, I remember one year um, I was doing a Bible study in my cell and uh, we we're locked down a lot. And I'd sent word out that before we go to chow, let's all circle up say what we're thankful for, say a prayer, you know. And there was like 200 guys in a cell block. And don't you know that after they popped the doors, there was so many of us, the COs were asking us what was going on down there, Yeah. you know. And there was black, white, Puerto Rican, all, all different colors, all different religions. There was Muslims, there was, and it didn't matter, Yeah. right? Because when you have the gift of desperation, Mm. Right. When you've been so far down the scale that that hunger for some hope that somebody cares. Right. Is the greatest opportunity that any of us have, whether we're addicts or not. Right. And we went around there and everybody said what they were thankful for. And I led the prayer. And at the end, I said, in Jesus name. Mm. And everybody respected that. Mm. That's a miracle. Yeah. And miracles like that seemed to follow me as long as I was doing God's will. And that's one great thing about um, the way I live my life today. 
is the spiritual principles behind um, behind the steps that I do. And um, and what those are is they just lead me to God, mm. right? All those steps, all those principles, they lead me to God in, in a working way that I don't just say the words and it's just magic, right? And it correlates with the word. It really does. And so uh, I wish that I could sit here, guys, and tell you that I never used again the rest of my life. Yeah. I wish I could. But there's some things that I learned along my rocky road um, to recovery that uh, I may not have been able to pick up if I hadn't. Right. Because God uses all things. Yeah. Right. Uses all things um, to teach us and to lead us as long as we're open to it. And so uh, I had to learn to knock my head, you know, a few more times <laughs> along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, relationships are a real troublesome area for me, like a lot of addictive people. Um, and uh, I uh, I've been married twice. Right. Um, and I have eight awesome kids. Right. And awesome grandkids. Um, God has blessed me. And it's more than I deserve. I'll tell you that. Good thing he doesn't <laughs> give us what we deserve. Right. right. Um, and so uh, when I came up here, um, I was just really tired of living where I was living. Um, I have been out of prison for nine years, which is the longest time that I've ever been out of trouble since I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, I served all together. I served 15 years in that sentence. Okay. Um, and, uh, I met John on a side job up here and, uh, we got to talking and right away we clicked, yeah. you know, we both were raised in the same, uh, denomination. Yeah. We, uh, and we both have been through some things and, and you were real easy to talk to. And I remember telling you, John, that I'll have to drop in and hear you preach one day. Yeah. And what was it? A year later, I was up here and moved up here with my family. Yeah. And, and you've been a tremendous help. You know, um, we were able to work with you in here. And, and uh, so I just want to I want to touch back real quick on that gift of desperation. Mm. Um, so. Who is an addict, right? Most of us do not have to think twice about this question. We know our whole life and thinking was centered in drugs in one form or another. You can take drugs out of that and put whatever you want in there, right? The getting and using and finding ways and means to get more. We live to use and use to live. Very simply, an addict is a man or woman whose life is controlled by, you can put whatever you want in there. We're people in the grip of continuing and progressive illness whose ends are always the same. Jails, institutions, and death. Mm. You know, gift of desperation happens um, in many forms. And I, I wanted to share this little bit. The gift of desperation has helped me become honest, open-minded, and willing. I'm grateful for this gift because it has made my recovery possible. Mm. Fair enough. Amen. That phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. I love hearing your story. As you were talking, you're talking about, you know, how addiction is self-centeredness. Mm. 
Um, and it reminds me of when Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my disciple, you must uh, give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Or deny yourself is what, what some versions say. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Like that, that to me, like it yeah. speaks to everything that you're saying. It's like so much, so many of us have, have self-centeredness in our soul. And, uh, for those that struggle with addiction, it, it's that self-centeredness kind of manifests itself in like a really, really powerful form. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I remember doing things that, um, were completely against my morals mm-hmm. and values to continue to stay high, to continue to continue to use. Um, and addiction isn't a moral deficiency, right? For a long time, there's, there's this thing, you know, the tired old lie, once an addict, always an addict, right? It's dead because we do recover now, mm-hmm. right? And, um, there, there's things I, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, you know, I stole, I went to prison for stealing. Uh, my, my family worked hard for all the things that they have. Lots of people work really hard. Right. And I would kick in people's doors and take their stuff when they weren't home. That's really coward. That's a coward. Right. You say that today. What, how would I feel if somebody did that to me? I've been through it. Somebody has done it to me, Hmm. you know, and more so. And, uh, but those are the, some of the low down things, right? Um, you know, putting guns to people's head and taking their drugs, taking their money, those kind of things, you know, things that people don't want to talk about. And, and that's on a, on a big scale with some, some hard drugs and, and things in prison, you know, um, before I got clean. So. Why, why, why would you do that? Like what, what was going through your head at the time just to give the listeners nothing, at home, maybe nothing, just like a little yeah, peek. Yeah. Nothing but getting what I needed mm. to change my world. Mm. That's it. And I would sit and I would plan, right. And scheme, you know, the Bible talks about the, the person that schemes, mm. you know, against his neighbor or whatever. Um, and the only thing I was just obsessed. And that's another thing about addiction is the obsession, right? I become obsessed on what I'm after, right? And then if it's not around, because I've been doing it for so long, it's compulsive, right? And, and I'm a, I'm obsessive and compulsive Mm. if it's not treated. Mm. So is there after you, is there remorse? Is there like, like I know things that I've struggled with in the past as far as like things that I know are destructive in my own life. After the act, there's remorse for a little while until that desire comes back. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And with the uh, hard stuff, I was caught up in that for a long time and I never came down long enough to feel anything. And when I did feel it, I wanted it gone. I didn't want that feeling. See, I was trying to escape my emotions. Right. And so you if you would take a, a shot of that, what it looks like is doing wrong, doing wrong, doing wrong, running out or going to jail or something where I'm away from it. A crash of emotions of all that doing wrong at one instance. 
because you didn't feel it each time. Yeah. Right. And go, then you got the guilt because I was raised better than that. Right. I knew better than that. But see, I don't do what I know. I do what I believe. I live what I believe. I don't live just what I know because everything I know about recovery, I would have stayed clean a long time ago. Yeah. Right. So I live what I believe. Don, I was going to ask you, you know, you mentioned earlier the story of the prodigal son and your understanding of God now, like back whenever you first started using, was your get, was your view of God different? Like, did that, did that lead you to any kind of guilt or like, did you feel like you couldn't turn to God because you knew that what you were doing was wrong? Um, I started using at a young age, like around 12 or 13. Um, and it was, it was a slow, progressive, uh, type of a relationship, uh, desperation or, uh, disbursement, um, where I put God on the back shelf. Um, but at first, absolutely, I felt so guilty, you know, and, but I didn't tell anybody, right? And then, um, what happened is I started using with my parents, mm-hmm. right? So it was accepted at home. And that's after that happened, it was just a free reign, you know, and uh, God wasn't talked about in the home. Right. And we had moved out of town. So I wasn't really talking to my grandparents anymore who brought me up in church. Um, and so anybody that talked about God, I'd just kind of, you know, get away from because I knew that God didn't want me doing that. You know, and today I know that. God is using all this, all this experience, everything that I've been through. I mean, look today, I'm so honored to be here, right? And, and to be able to share my story. Yeah. And, uh, if that helps one person, man, Amen. then God's work is done, mm. right? For today. And so, uh, yeah, it did. It did. And then I dove into the harder stuff. And so I was surrounded by, I was the youngest guy in the room. And I've been, I was surrounded by men who their whole life they've been using. Mm. So, you know, I, I am whatever I participate in. Yeah. So you said earlier that, uh, when you would see recovery programs going on, you didn't want to be part of that, uh, because you couldn't, you didn't feel like you could relate with the people in those rooms. Mm-hmm. But isn't that part of the lie of addiction that Absolutely. it will, it will cause us to self isolate? Uh, and maybe talk about if you're if you're willing to talk about the freedom that comes when you instead of looking for uh, what what makes us different or our differences, what what brings us together? Absolutely, that's a good point, John. Um, you know, we talk about it all the time in here. Um, that uh, whenever I look at the differences, like say the differences between me and you, yeah. right? I'm an addict in recovery. You're not. Right. You're what we call a normie, <laughs> whatever that means. All right. I've been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> but so that keeps us separate. Right. The disease wants me to be isolated. Right. Because that's how it can see. It doesn't want to kill me. Not right away. It wants to take everything from me. Mm. Right. And, and personally, personally, to me, the disease is Satan. Yeah. Right. It's the evil in this world. Yeah. And the only solution to that is God Mm. in the sacrifice that Jesus made. Yeah. Mm. Right. 
That's Amen. the only solution. Amen. This, the meetings that I go to, uh, is formatted in a way that we accept everybody right where they're at. Okay. And God scares a lot of people. And what I tell them is if God scares you out of here, the dealers carry you right back in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Sooner or later, if you don't want to deal with God right now, sooner or later, you got to deal with God. All of us do. There's no escaping that. Mm. Right? Mm. And so, when I look at the differences, I could stay separate and alone. Because mm-hmm. that's where my disease wanted me to be. Right. right? But when I started looking at the similarities, right? And, and I'll tell you what that looked like for me is when I was in a meeting, I would look at, because, you know, guys size guys up. That's, yeah. you know, Walker, you probably sized me up from the time you first saw me, right? <laughs> this short guy walking around here like he's tough <laughs> with all them tattoos. So I would look to see if they had tats. You know, you ain't got tattoos. You ain't been down, right? Because in my mind, if you hadn't been where I've been and done what I do, you can't tell me nothing, right? Right. Because that's what they tried to do in all the treatments that I went to. Somebody that had never put a needle in their arm, never dealt with addiction, is trying to tell me how to live. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't identify with that. Yeah. So in the rooms, when I stopped looking at the differences and started looking at the similarities, right, and I earned my seat and so did you. You know, yeah. you earned your seat here. There's no, you know, the life out there is the cover charge. Yeah. And that's the only way that I could be open for change. Right. And we talk about honesty and I'm on a first step. And the biggest thing that I'm going through right now is honesty. And I've learned that honesty isn't necessarily just telling you the truth, Walker. Mm. John It's telling me the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's Being honest with yourself first. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you don't know the truth, you can't tell the truth. And then it can't set you free. Right. Mm. Absolutely. You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> hey, so what I love about this discussion about, you know, focusing in on the similarities instead of the differences is that's in my mind, that's just another way that we can see addiction is from our enemy because it's always been Satan's plan to divide us. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in our in our country as a whole right now. We're divided. And I know that that's the devil's work. Absolutely. Because that's what he's always been into. He always has wanted us to keep us away from relationship with each other. Uh, he's always wanted to keep us uh, from right relationship with God. Uh, and so, you know, you were reading that earlier. We could put fear in there, mm. you know, because some people are addicted to fear and allow mm. fear to control their lives. There's all kinds of things that people give into that keep us from relationship. And uh, that's in my mind in listening to different testimonies um, in the last year or so, um, the most dangerous thing that that this kind of addiction does is self-isolate us to to separate us from everybody else, to make us feel like uh, we're all alone in this and nobody else goes through what we go through. Nobody else faces what we face and nobody understands. Um, And that's a lie. Yeah. And it's a lie that has to be broken. And that's why I love you know, these different 12-step programs because um, they expose that lie for what it is. They expose that lie for what it is and tell us that there is hope 
and that there is a future. Um, and I love that. Mm. Yeah, man, earlier you mentioned um, that everybody will have to come to grips with God. Everybody will have to face God. And from what you were saying, it reminded me of, you know, David says, uh, where can I go to flee from your presence? <laughs> if I go up into the clouds above, you're there. If I go down uh, to the grave below, you are there. Um, and you mentioned earlier how you grew up in the same denomination as, as Jonathan. And so my question to you is this, like you've mentioned all the bad things that have happened. You mentioned the moments, the gift of desperation. Like, is there a specific moment where the Holy Spirit spoke to you where that presence that you can't flee from where that presence you finally were like god like thank you for speaking nick was there was there an epiphany a moment like that absolutely um i'm gonna tell you this story excuse me so i'm in prison and and uh this was before the epiphany of hey stupid (laughs) (laughs) you've been here a year um you need to do something um, and I was really hooked on heroin really bad. Mm-hmm. And I'd never done, I'd never experienced, uh, intravenous drug use until I went to prison. Mm-hmm. And I got a $50 a day habit. And that's a lot of money in there. It's a lot of money out here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, one of my grandparents had passed away. He was supposed to come and see me. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And he passed away two weeks before he was coming to see me. And, uh, I was praying, man, and I was grieving, and the drugs just weren't working anymore. Mm. No matter how much dope I put in my arm, I couldn't get high. They quit working. Mm. And so I'm praying, and uh, God's talking to me in that little voice. At first, it was little, you know, and and because I I hadn't been walking with him. Mm. And so it's the small voice. And uh, he, he said, I'm going to take this from you. And I was asking him, take this away. But I was dreading getting dope sick mm. because that's a real hard one. Heroin is a real hard one to kick because if you get physically ill. And I told him, you take the withdrawal away and I will I'll stop because I'm scared. Mm. And I think that was the first time I've been honest with God in a long time. I said, I'm scared. Help me. And uh, I didn't have one withdrawal. Wow. Not one. Wow. And so it went on from there. Hold on, the miracle. That's not all the miracle. <laughs> That's a big one. Yeah. That's a big miracle. And uh, the next one was I had to deal with all the people. Like I said, I, I robbed. I did it in there. Mm-hmm. You know, I broke into card games, stole the money, the cartons of cigarettes, the money. You know, put knives to people's throats, all that diabolical things that an addict can do, right? And it comes down to me or you, it's going to be you. And uh, I had all this repercussion and consequence coming to me. Mm-hmm. So I prayed for faith mm-hmm. to face it. And now I'm not high anymore, so I'm a scared human <laughs> being. <laughs> I don't feel, you know, I'm a scared Guy. And so, so, but I knew that I didn't want to live that way anymore. Yeah. And if death came, right? Because I was dealing with some gangs and things like that. So if death came, it couldn't be as bad as having to do this whole sentence anyway. Mm. 
right? Yeah. So I was ready. I made myself right with God. And so I go out to the yard. Um, got to meet these guys out there. And there's about 30 of them, right? This gang. And uh, I'll tell you, when I walked out there, I felt God having my back. Mm-hmm. I went out there by myself. Guy asked me, a friend of mine, he's like, you want me to go out there with you? I said, no. And I got rid of my shank and everything. I went out there unarmed, I thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I felt, I felt God had my back. Wow. And the fear went away. Every step I made to those picnic tables, the fear started to go away. Wow. Right? And I could see it in my mind still, the fence and everything, but the sky seemed really big. Mm-hmm. And I felt that presence, and I walked away from that situation without a scratch on me. What did they say? They said a lot of things I probably shouldn't say. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, they said, no, you can't walk away. And I said, God says I can. Wow. And they said, well, don't go. You're going to go to the church with all those pedophiles and all that stuff, right? Because God, Satan tries to throw down everything that we try to do godly. Mm. In the joint, there's a stigma about people who go to church. Yeah. So it keeps other people, if they listen to it, away. And it kept me away for a long time. But I've never went into God's house where I didn't feel love from God. Mm. And so I went to the chapel, man, and I started getting in my word. And uh, I didn't quit doing everything. I still do getting tattoos, as you can see. But it's a process, right? Yeah. So I had a visit. And they saw they strip you down for your visits in and out. And they saw I had a fresh tattoo. So I had to go do 10 days in the hole. During those 10 days, I got some mail. Right. Here comes the other miracle. Becoming threes for me. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, I get a piece of mail from P&P, probation and parole. It says you're scheduled for release. And this was in 98. You're scheduled for release in 90, November of 99. We're going to let you out a year early on house arrest. Wow. It was like three months that I was going to be out. I wasn't even scheduled for a pro hearing until 2001. Wow. wow. Yeah. And I got out. <laughs> and I got out in time to be with my grandpa before he died of brain cancer. Wow. Wow. So you can you look back since you were, you know, you kind of started your story at about 12. Can you look back now, knowing what you know now, and see that God was with you when you were getting ready to hang yourself at 12? God was with you uh, even when you were doing some, what you, you know, you called some dirty deeds uh, when you were in prison. Can you can you look back and see how God uh, kept you even when you weren't aware of him? Absolutely. And I want to go back to that suicide attempt real quick because um, no one was home at my house. I took my sister's jump rope, you know, those nylon jump ropes, mm-hmm. and I climbed up in the tree. And I tied a, a knot around. At 12 years at old. At 12 years old, tied a knot around. The, I went up high enough to where I knew I wouldn't hit the ground. Tied a knot around the limb I was standing on, and I made a noose with the other end of it. And I was looking out over cornfield, and there was old Chinese elm tree that saps. Yeah. In the summertime, I'm looking over the cornfield, and I... Pray, right? Because I knew that my understanding at that age was if you committed suicide, you were going to hell, yeah. right? Take your own life. And uh, that came up in my mind. 
And about the time that I go to, <laughs> and I know it sounds like a fairy tale, but you couldn't make this up. The time that I go to take it off of me, I had stepped back in some of that sap. I slipped. Wow. And I fell. And everything went like this into a dark circle. It was, it was like a circle, and then it went blank. Nobody was home. Yeah, okay, wait a minute. You have, you're getting ready to take the rope off of your neck, and you slip. And I slipped. Okay. And it all went black. And I remember waking up, gasping for air, pulling this rope off of me, and I'm back up on that branch. Huh. I didn't put myself up there. Yeah. And about 10 minutes later, one of the family members pulled in, and that's whenever they took me to the place. But, yeah. Wow. That's wild. Yeah, that's wild, man. <laughs> God's got me here for a reason. Yeah, no doubt. Yes. And I don't just know that today. I believe yeah. it. Yeah. Amen. And there's people out there listening right now, you know, who maybe they're struggling or they have family members that are struggling. Hopefully they'll forward this podcast to them to hear your story, because I think, you know, just sitting here, man, hearing your story builds my faith. You know, um, just that just that understanding that nobody, nobody is too far gone. That like God has a plan for everyone. You know, it's that scripture we quote all the time. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to grow you. Not to not to give you harm, but to give you hope and a future. And, man, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Man, I don't have any. My, you have like a, you have like a little, little bracelet or something? No, I got, uh, that's my favorite scripture. Oh, wow. And thank God you. gave me that scripture. Yeah. And I have a, a leather-bound I keep my notes in. Yeah, it's on the front of it. My wow. wife made. Hey man, Jonathan, see it. Absolutely, I love it. I just have one last question. What is maybe one thing that normies? <laughs> what is one misconception that we might have about people who are in addiction? Mm-hmm. And you know, how can we correct that misconception? You know, to help to help you guys better. Wow, that's a big question. That's a big yeah. question. Um, so. I would say uh, the first thing is everybody, somebody loves all of us, right? In a human form, not just God, but in a human form. That addict, that junkie, that alcoholic, whatever, is somebody's son or daughter, mm-hmm. brother or sister, husband, wife, you know, somebody cares about them. And see, what happens is, we think because of all this, I think because of all this wrong that I've done, that it separates me, right? Not only from God, but from my fellow human beings. And that goes back to that division. Yeah. So understanding that they're human, right? Yeah. We're all human. A lot of times there's judgment that's placed that's below human level, mm-hmm. you know, or that uh maybe they might hurt you or whatever. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen and that it can't happen, right? But just understanding that they're human, that we all have struggles, right? And like with this podcast, um, you guys have my information. So any feedback that you get, anybody that would like to get involved with some of these things that I'm talking about with the 12 steps or whatever, you guys got my information. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it is, is, is pointing someone in the right direction, showing love. Yeah. You know, because if you go from a point of nothing but using people and them using you, 
right? That world. A lot of people have been in that world a long time. So anything that's about, you know, anything good, they really don't believe it. Hmm. I didn't, you know, not until I was exposed to love because I didn't look at myself as a human. I looked at myself as a monster, hmm. right? And until I started to know the truth that God is in me, right? Mm-hmm. And I can have a relationship with God and others, yeah. right? And start helping other people. That's what keeps me clean. That's good. Wow. That's a good answer. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I uh, already mentioned it once, but please, 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 if you know of anybody that could use this uh, great, the great word that's been brought to us by, uh, by, Brother Don, and I will say it's, it's been a word. I feel like I just went through a sermon. Like I, that was less of an interview and more of just some straight preaching and some good stories. If you know of anybody, anybody at all that could, that needs to listen to this, uh, that can benefit from this, send it their way. Uh, we would love for this great message to reach them. No doubt about it. I want to say one last thing about my brother Don. And if I say something wrong about you, then correct me. But I know that, uh, early on in life, like from when his grandparents were taking him to church, that God put a, a call to ministry on Don's life. And I know that every time Don gets closer to God, that comes back. You know what I mean? Because God did create Don with a purpose. And so with that, I want to apply that to you as well. Uh, if you're listening today and you think, man, yeah, God called me to do something for him when I was, you know, nine at kids camp. And I knew I was supposed to do something for God, but I've done, there's way too much baggage in between. There's way too much water under the bridge. There's no such thing. Mm. that, you know, the, the New Testament teaches us that God's gifts and callings are without repentance. That means that when God calls us to something, he never takes it back. And so uh, if God has called you to something, don't think that you're too far gone. Yeah, don't think that you're um, don't think that you've wasted it. Don't think that your opportunity is lost, uh, because as long as God is still blessing us with breath, he's still calling us close to him and he's still calling us uh, to make an impact on the world around us. Mm-hmm. Right on. Hey, thanks for listening, guys. Much love and peace. Peace. Peace.